If you will now, turn to John chapter 1. We're in the book of John still, and chapter 1, and I'm so excited to preach this, this passage today. I'm excited because there are so many issues in today's world that happens to be illustrated and brought out in this passage. Um, you know, last week we talked about how important it was that we understand that Jesus came as a man and he was fully God. He was 100% man, 100% God. But can I tell you, I praise the fact that his deity is declared by John the Baptist. How many of you have been, been able to say to someone this week who Jesus is? Anybody be able to share that this week? I'm telling you what, isn't it wonderful that we have a Jesus that has saved my soul and saved your soul? If you're saved here today, you know, I heard a preacher say one time, his church is on Jeremiah 33.3. That was his address, all right? And he said, make much of Jesus and he'll make much of you. Now, I don't want to be made much of, but let me tell you this. I want Hillcrest to be a, a light in a dark place that's talking about Jesus and him alone. And as we do that, I believe God is honored. But let me say this. There's a world out there of religious folks that don't want you doing that. They don't understand it when you do. And it catches them off guard. And we're going to talk about that today. Let's pray and ask God's blessing on our service. God, I pray right now you'd bless this message. Father, we need you now more than we ever have. God, we need your Holy Spirit here. Holy Spirit, may you take control of this message and of this moment. God, may you use this time to bring glory and honor to you as we lift you up. May you draw men unto yourself. In Christ's name, amen. You know, uh, there was a delegation sent out to John the Baptist. Now, I'm going to have to tell you, John the Baptist was a different kind of fella. As a matter of fact, he preached in a different kind of place. He preached in a place called Bethabara. Now, if you know anything about that, it's near Jericho, which is quite a walk from Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem's about 3,000 feet up, and it's going down to the Jordan Valley is where he was baptizing. You know, you got to have water to baptize. And so he was in the Jordan River baptizing people, and there was a delegation sent out from Jerusalem. Now, where was the center of religious uh, activity in that day? It was in Jerusalem. They were leaving everything that they had built and believed in to leave Jerusalem and go meet with John the Baptist. John the Baptist was shaking their world. Their, God was using him in a fantastic way. Now, I love that when God's hand causes things to happen that can only be explained by God himself. I love it when it's not man-made, it's not fabricated, it's not created. You know, in this world today, we have folks that think they have to market Jesus. They have to have the right kind of slogan. Their church building has to look a certain way. They have to have a certain lighting in the facility. They have to have a certain kind of music to play along. They have to have a certain dress that they wear. And you'll never see this body in skinny jeans. And I, they have all, you know, some say, amen, praise the Lord. But I'm telling you, oh, Troy said me either, okay? So what I'm saying is we have this idea what's cool and what church should be to attract. 
John the Baptist took the Nazarite vow. He ate locusts and wild honey. He dressed strange. He acted strange. He was different. And the reason he was different is because God's hand was upon him. And you know what he was doing? It aggravated the Jews. And notice John calls in the Jews. Look in verse 19 of our passage, John chapter 1. And this is a record of John when the Jews, notice he doesn't say when is the, the children of Israel. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him one question, who are you? What in the world has come to Bethabara? What in the world is in our area? Now, they had to walk away. They were a delegation of people trying to figure out what God was doing. I love it when God does a work, and it's unexplainable, and it's unexpected, and it's not what we think should happen. But I'll tell you, John the Baptist was doing something, and they wanted to know. Notice that John uses this term, Jews, 70 times. And it's the official religious leaders from the official religious center. Now, let me tell you something. We have some Jews in our world today. There are people who are trying to tell us what our message should and should not be. As a matter of fact, there are certain hot topics nowadays that if you touch them, you are out of line. If you preach on certain things, and quite frankly, in our Southern Baptist Convention, we have some folks that believe it's okay to be woke. Now listen to me, I know that's a buzzword in today's society. And probably when, you, when I said that, some of you went, oh, is he going there? Yes. Because our churches are beginning to adopt that philosophy and pressuring those of us who know God's word, who stand on God's word, that we should conform to what they believe. And let me tell you something, we're not going to do it. There are religious people from religious organizations who are coming and checking out what God's doing because they can't market it, they can't make it happen, they can't drum it up, and they can't turn the lights down dark enough to see it happen, and they've got to decide what is going on. You know what I want to know? I want to know, do Hillcrest, do you want to be the church of the living God, or do you want to be like that? Now, I'm not, I'm not saying if you have a different style of worship, you're wrong. That's not what I'm saying. Please understand me. What I am saying is if God's not the Lord of your church, there's a problem. And when you cannot stand on scriptural principle, you are in trouble. And listen to me, it's time that we don't let religious organization and religious people who don't know Jesus try to tell us how to preach God's word. It's time that we stand. And John the Baptist did that. And I love it to see this, what happened. First of all, they came, they were Jewish leaders. They were living now by man's many laws. I could give you the history of how the Talmud came into existence, but, the, but I won't take the time to do that because I got some more stuff to preach. I want to preach God's word and I'm going to worry about all that, but let me tell you something. They had over 1,500 man-made rules that they were trying to follow that made you religious and spiritual. 
Let me tell you something. I have the rule right here. I have the rule of faith and practice right here. I have God's word that tells me how I should live and what I should do. And I will not apologize for it. So first of all, we have the Jews. Secondly, we have John the Baptist. They recognized him. You understand, John the Baptist was one of the last of his kind. For Zacharias, his father, had a lineage, but so did his mother, Elizabeth. They both were from the tribe of Levi. And he had a pedigree that they were calling him on. Basically, they're saying, wait a minute. We know who John's parents are. We know who his great-grandparents are. We can take him all the way back to the lineage of Levi and Aaron. They knew exactly his lineage. And they're saying, hey, wait a minute. Who are you? They knew who John the Baptist was. The Old Testament had prophesied his birth. You understand he is six years older than Jesus. Elizabeth and Mary were related. Well, let me say, there was, a, there was a pedigree. And what they're saying, they recognize him first as a priest. They're saying, first of all, you could be a priest. By our guidelines and by our pedigree, you could be a priest. Secondly, that we know you're a Levite because you're of the descendants of Levi. And we know you're a Judean. Now, that was one of the problems with Jesus, you know. Jesus was from Galilee. He wasn't from the Judean. He, wasn't, he served in Galilee. But John the Baptist was Judean, and they're trying to figure out, John, who are you? Well, here's the question then. First of all, John, you're unusual. How many of you have found yourself having a hard time fitting in? You know, if you, by the way, if you're not, you're probably not vocal enough. All you've got to do nowadays to not fit in is say a boy is a boy and a girl's a girl. And you're in trouble. I mean, that's all you got to say. And next thing you know, they're going to go through all And then you've got to say the boys ought not compete against girls in sports. Maybe that's not a big issue with you. But let me tell you something. The way I feel, God just assigned gender at birth actually back it up at a conception. Now, what is the deal? Children nowadays do not know, want to know the gender of their baby. We've got a grandbaby coming. we got a, a bun in the oven. And they're supposed, they're supposed to have a gender reveal. So granddad and grandpa, granddad and grandma, they know how to buy stuff. You know, when you're at Cracker Barrel, those cute little tears. We don't know whether to buy boys or girls, so we buy both. That's the that's thing. But let me tell you something. At conception, your gender is determined. God knows it. We don't know it, but God knows it. But I'm telling you, you're unusual if you speak out about very basic, simple, biblical truth that God's word is clear on, you're unusual. Number two, you're unapproved. You're intolerant. You know, tolerance has gotten us in trouble. We Christians have begun, I mean, we're being tolerant. We want to be considered of other people, right? And so we say happy holiday. Seems harmless. But let me tell you what they do. They head you up. Have you ever seen a good cutting horse work? Anybody ever seen a good cutting horse work? Let me tell you what, you don't have to steer that rascal. All you got to do is try to stay on. But that's what the world's trying to do to us Christians. They're trying to cut us off and hit us back and get us in the, you know, huh, 
Huh, that's what they're trying to do. They're trying everywhere we go. They know where we're going because the Word of God's already said it. I don't apologize for what I believe the Word of God says. Won't back up, won't, cause, won't say, I'm sorry if it hurts your feelings. If it hurts your feelings, that's just Holy Ghost conviction is all that is. He's unapproved. He was unexpected. You know, when God finally shows up, I, I can't wait. When God finally shows up, it's going to be unexpected. You, you're looking forward to that day. You know, we're getting closer. You know, everything's planned by God. Somebody said, well, I like studying the end times. End times are what they are. Now, if you study them, well, teach me. I love to learn. But let me tell you something. I, we are in them. I know that. And I know I could look up right now and Jesus could come in a twinkling of an eye. Even so, John said, come quickly, Lord Jesus. We are in the time, and that's going to be unexpected, but let me tell you, John the Baptist was unexpected. Why? Because he was luring people out of Jerusalem, the religious center, Jews, not Gentiles, Jews were traveling to where he was baptizing and getting baptized. Something was happening. Did you know I believe in baptism? I believe in scriptural baptism. I'm Baptist, you know. And I believe in scriptural baptism. I believe that you should, after you follow the Lord in believers in salvation, you should immediately follow him as soon as you're ready. As soon as, you know, if you're old enough to get saved, you're old enough to be baptized. And I believe that's a first order of business to take care of. That's the next step of obedience. And he was unexpected. He was misunderstood. You know, when you do something for Jesus that catches people off of guard, that, are, that catch people, that's unusual, that's unapproved, that's unexpected, you're immediately misunderstood. As a matter of fact, because we preach the Bible and because we preach against sin, sometimes we're misunderstood. You know, when I say this thing about these children and these young people and adults as well who don't know which sex they are, I love them for Jesus' sake. But you understand their sin is wrong. Homosexuality is wrong. And we're going to preach that. But we're not going to preach it mean. You know, if I, the, 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 the meanest thing I can do is allow you to believe something that is wrong. There's nothing more mean to a human that you can do than let them continue to living when they're wrong like they are. So the question is, who are you? Here's the thought. Too, many, too often institutional religion is suspicious and opposed to the unusual. You know what I'd love to see happen here at Hillcrest? If something really unusual happened. Now please understand, we're having people saved weekly. If you're here today, you know Jesus as your Savior, you're in the right place. But I'd love to see the Holy Spirit come down here and just, just rattle our chain. Just completely rattle the cage in the house. You know, the, the, the song Rattle. I'd love for the dry bones to get life in them. I'd love to see the Holy Spirit drop down in a way where everybody says in Lebanon and in Wilson County, whoa, you better watch going over there. That's unusual. It's not the normal business. I'd love to see that happen. Let me say this. God wants to do it too. You don't think God's up here saying, I don't want that for you. God says, I will, and I want that for you if my people, which are called by my name. I believe God is just waiting. So first of all, uh, we see uh, the, the delegation. Secondly, we see the denials. 
because they're trying to figure out who he is. You've heard this passage before. Look at verse 20. But he confessed. Now, you would think that would be enough, right? He confessed. One, if you confess to a murder, you don't have to say it multiple times, okay? If you confess who you are, I'm David Rhodes, you know? I don't have to confess. I mean, that's who I am. But notice what happened. He confessed and denied not, but confessed. Three times he made it clear. He made it clear, I am not the who? Christ. John the Baptist knew Christ. He was his cousin. But he was not the Christ. Boy, for men of God to really know who they are. Oh, for the men of God in each pulpit across America to really know who they are and who they should be promoting. He wanted no honor that belonged to Christ. But let me tell you, there are men in pulpits across America that want all the honor. They want to, they want to fly in their private jets. Come on now. They want to be treated like royalty. I, I was in North Carolina. There was a church there in that area. I could almost, well, it was about, about 10 miles from our church. They had a private garage built onto their church and provided their pastor with a Rolls Royce. And when he came in, in case it was raining, he drove in that garage and he made a separate entrance into that building. And you know what he said when he was interviewed about it? He said, if my people want to give me a Rolls Royce, I'm not going to steal their blessing. No, I mean, I... Anybody want to give me a Rolls? I mean, uh, I'll sell it and give it to missions. Let me tell you what. We've got men in the pulpits across America that believe just like that. You say, David, you're taking shots at anyone. I'll take shots at anyone that takes the honor from Jesus. I don't mean that mean. I love them, but I wish they'd get right. John said, I, did, I would tell you three times I'm not the Christ. So he first of all said, I'm not the Christ. And then uh, he was definite. Secondly, he was not the Christ. Thirdly, he was not Elijah. Matthew 4, 5, I won't go take time to go there. But because of his pedigree, this question was raised because of his lineage. And he said, are you Elijah? One of the old prophets. No, I'm not Elijah. Look in verse 21. And they said, what else? Are thou Elias? And he said, I'm not. Art thou that prophet? Now, that prophet refers to the prophet that's, that's prophesied in Deuteronomy 18, 15. I won't take time there either, but their confusion calls this question. They're told by now, they're thinking, you're not Christ. You're not Elijah who's told that he will come. Now, we know he'll come in the latter days, and we are not Elijah, and you're not that prophet. Then tell me, who are you? They're so confused. Well, first of all, I hear some thoughts I want to give you. First of all, we should... We, we should claim who we are, not who we're not. I should never claim to be somebody I'm not. I should never claim that. No pastor in the pulpit should. We should never seek rec recognition. We should never assume honor that it's not ours. And we should, allow, we should never allow, listen to this, God's power to become our pride. When a man starts seeing people move and God's power resting upon a place, you know what happens often? And you better pray for anyone. Pride swells up. Boy, I'm pretty good. Let me tell you something. We better never allow that to happen 
in the lives of a man of God. And John didn't. Thirdly, I've got to spend some time here, the demand. Look in verse 23. He said, notice what happened. Uh, uh, well, actually, verse 22, he said unto him, uh, who art thou that we may give an answer to them that sent us? What sayest thou of thyself? In verse 22. Notice that them that sent us, probably the Sanhedrin. The guys that were not, they were too important to make the trip themselves. These guys were the lackeys. They were the errand boys coming back and bringing news back to the Sanhedrin in Jerusalem. They wanted to know who you are. Notice what he says in verse 23. He said, I love this. I'm a voice. I'm a voice. Of one. A voice of one. Boy, I wish we could somehow settle on that. That each of us are one. But each of us have a voice. You know, I think it's interesting too to remember that his daddy lost his voice until John was born. And John, and I'm sure mom and dad told him over and over that story. And what John says, I'm just a voice of one crying in the wilderness. He's a voice, he was a clear voice with a clear message. Verse 20 of Matthew chapter 10, verse 20, and it's up here. For it is not that ye speak, excuse me, for it is not ye that speak, but the Spirit of your Father which speaketh in you. Then let me say this. If God doesn't speak through me, let me sit down. If God doesn't speak to a preacher, let him sit down down. The only thing that I have to offer, the only thing that I can bring to you this morning is the Word of God. Nothing more. We have people who think they're so smart that they can sit around and tell people how to do ministry. They hold seminars. You pay big bucks. They go there. Lots of people sitting around and they just give their thoughts about things. They never really go into the Word. Let me tell you something. That is not what God's talking about. He's talking about this clear message that He puts inside you. I hope you understand that when me, Brother Brandon and I or anyone gets up here to preach, we have, Brother Travis, Brother Travis, anyone who gets up here to preach, we have sought the Lord in this message and we've asked him to give it to us. Mark 16, 15 says, and I believe this is one of the messages that's clear, and he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Now Jesus said that. Did you know what a creature is? That's anything that breathes. Any person that breathes, you should share the gospel with them. It's a clear voice with a clear message. It's an earnest voice in desperate times. Are we in desperate times? Let me tell you something. You look and read the news, and it's a desperate time. And notice what um, uh, Matthew, uh, Matthew 3.2 says, and saying, repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Let me say this. Well, we're closer to heaven every day, are we not? And we've already talked about that, but I'm saying this, the world is showing us day by day that we are, in fact, closer to when Jesus Christ returned and his kingdom of heaven is at hand. He was in the wilderness with a message. Isaiah 40, verse 3, is of the message that he was prophesied to have. And it says, the voice of him that crieth in the wilderness. What does John say? I'm a voice. 
I'm simply a voice. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. I believe there's several things here that um, the reason why John is telling them about himself being a uh, um, a voice, and why they needed to hear from John what he says. I think there's some reasons here when we talk about uh, when he's asking, who are you? Because here's the deal. Can you, do you have any discernment in you at all that when you see the Holy Spirit moving, you recognize it? Did you know in most, in many churches today, if the Holy Spirit really showed up, they wouldn't know what to do with it. I wonder in our own lives, Really, our lives. If the Holy Spirit really came and showed up and really got a hold of what he wants to do with Hillcrest, I wonder how many of us would say, whoa, that's out there. What about that? See, what happens, I think one reason they didn't recognize who he was is because they needed their concept of the Messiah straightened out. This group, this delegation that came, they needed to have their concept of who Jesus is straightened out. You say, well, David, yeah, they did, boy. They, they, they thought they were there to liberate them from the Romans. That's what they thought Jesus, who the Messiah was going to do. Boy, they need to be straightened out with that. You know, so many of us are focused on the politics of our world that we don't have time to worry about the spiritual thing of this world. Now, I believe in voting for the right candidate, but let me tell you something. I'm not going to spend so much time with something that it takes away from time that's more important. And they knew that they needed to know who the Messiah was. You say, well, you're sitting here today and you don't know Jesus as your Savior. Guess what? You need your view of Jesus straightened out. Some of you believe that you can, you can uh, just presume on God. That you're here in this service, you're hearing the gospel, and you're not saved, and you don't want to get saved, but you presume you'll have another chance. And your view of the Messiah needs to be corrected. Because uh, Genesis 6, 3 says, my spirit will not always strive with man. You could leave here today and the Holy Spirit never convict you again. Or you could leave here today, walk out that door, get in your car, start to turn out on Hartsville Pike and all the crazy traffic out there, and you could die in a split second in a car accident before you ever God on your way to go home. You cannot presume on the Messiah. You, these men presumed that they were right. They presumed that their religiosity was enough. They thought they had the corner on what was right and wrong, and they needed their concepts straightened out. Their need, their, they needed their religion straightened out. You know, you say, well, I've got my own religion. I've witnessed the people and say, well, that's personal. Yeah, that's pretty personal. Whether you're saved or lost today is very personal. But let me tell you something, because I am saved, I can't wait to tell you about it. And if you're not saved, you probably don't want to talk about it. You got it? It's so personal that you really don't want to tell somebody you're saved. How many of you would say, David, I'm so excited I'm saved, I want to tell everybody I know about it. Let me tell you, when you're saved, that's one of the tests. The one of the tests that you really got is that you want to tell somebody. Don't care. And let me say this. If a person said, well, that's personal, I don't want to talk about that. Someone said, don't talk about religion, politics, and something else. Let me tell you something. Religion, yes, don't talk about it. But Jesus, yes, you talk about him. Jesus is not religion. He's relationship. 
and we're all about it. They needed their religion straightened out, and they, and they also need, the world needed to know what Jesus says. In other words, they really need to know what Jesus had said about himself. And what did, what did some things that Jesus has said about religion and about our standing with God? There's, there are three things, and I know I got points like a porcupine this morning, but I'm trying to keep it straight for you. Denise says, David, I can't follow the outline. Okay, listen to the message. Number one, you know what Jesus said in John 3, 16? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And we love this, that whosoever believeth in him should not, what? Perish. Did you know, you need to get this straight in your theology. I don't care if you're saved or lost this morning. You are perishing. You're dying physically. You say, wait, well, hey, David, I don't want to die physically. I got too much fun to, I got, no, you're dying physically. Ask the older guy next, sitting next to you. Do you feel that? Yes, sir, I do. If you don't do it slow, you do it quick, but you're dying. But you know, there's a second way you perish, and that's spiritually. Revelation 21.8 tells us that's a lake that burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. That, and Jesus came that no one would perish. The first thing we must understand, if we, what we need to know that Jesus says is man is perishing in sin. The second thing is man must repent. You know, how do we remedy our perishing? How do we remedy that? You can't turn back the clock. Oh, boy, we try, don't we? We try to turn the clock back, don't we? Physically? Well, let me tell you, Jesus said, I can help you with that. Mark 2, 17 said, when Jesus heard it, he said to them, they that are whole have no need of the physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. You're perishing. I'm perishing. We must repent. Repent is a military term. I'm headed this way. I turn a 180 degrees and I head the opposite way. You cannot be more opposite when you're saved and lost. You know, if you lose something, it's lost. And you can't be more opposite to save than lost. And if you're lost this morning, God says you're perishing. If you're lost this morning, God says you must repent. Jesus says that. And Matthew 4, 17 says, from that time, Jesus began to preach and say, repent. Why? For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Folks, I can't give you a better word than that this morning. You're perishing. All you have to do is repent. And God's kingdom is coming. One of these days, you're going to stand before them, before him. But they don't stop there. In verses 25 and 26, they ask him and said, Why baptizest thou then, if thou be not that Christ, nor liest, neither that prophet? You're unqualified to be doing what you're doing. Here's the thing. These Jews, they baptized Gentiles into Judaism. Ism. When something says ism, it isn't. That's easy to remember. If it has an ism on it, we're in trouble. Communism, socialism, I mean, we keep on going. If it's got an ism on it, we're in trouble. 
But they were, they were baptizing Gentiles into Judaism. You know what John was doing? He was baptizing Jews into salvation and because of repentance. He was doing the work of the Lord and he was baptizing. We're going to learn more about that later. But he was baptizing and he says, I baptize with water. Keep reading there. John said, I baptize with water, but there standeth one among you whom ye know not. I'm glad I know him today. I believe if you walk through that door, there's some people that wouldn't recognize him. But I would. He's got nail prints in his hands. He's got nail prints in his feet. He's got a, a hole in his side where they, they, they pierced him. Let me tell you something about my Jesus. I hope you would know him if he was here. Let me say this. He's here right now. Do you know him? Right this moment, he's here. Do you know him? Verse 27. And he it is who coming after, after me is preferred before me whose shoes latch it. I am not worthy to understand, to unloose. <laughs> they want to know what authority you're baptizing. What, what authority? Is this? Why baptize there? They ask him that. Well, he's saying, well, I baptized by that guy that you don't know and wouldn't know. When, when Satan blinds the eyes of people, they can't see. And he said, I, my authority is him. The one who makes me a slave, I'm not willing, I'm not, I'm not uh, able to even take his shoes off his feet. You understand they thought he was a priest. They thought he was a prophet. They thought he was Christ. And he said, I'm not, even, I'm not even worthy to take his shoes off his feet, which is the lowest servant position in the household. I'm not even worthy to do that. John saw himself. That's his authority. And he said, one who can really forgive sin. That's my authority. I wonder today, do you know him? Has his deity that was declared in this passage, John is declaring, has it really come home to you in your heart? Do you know him? And those of us who do, are you serving him? 